You are listening to Feminist Current. I'm Megan Murphy. We know that companies have been putting toxic chemicals in things like cigarettes, and we're beginning to get tuned into the fact that many other products we buy and use also contain toxins and carcinogens. But to what extent? Many women wear up to 20 products a day, from lotions to makeup to hair products. But do we know what's in the things we put on our faces and bodies daily? The frightening truth is that many of us slather on thousands of chemicals every morning, many of which are toxic. Companies know this, and governments know this, yet they're doing nothing to stop it. In 1982, world-renowned epidemiologist Dr. Daniel Kramer linked Johnson & Johnson's baby powder to ovarian cancer. Since the 60s, the company allegedly knew the risks and did nothing. In 2004, Dr. Philippa Darber, a UK scientist, found parabens, a chemical preservative in many cosmetics in breast tissue. In 2018, the National Institute of Health's sister study linked breast cancer to personal care product use. Last July, Johnson & Johnson was ordered to pay $4.7 billion U.S. to a group of women who said the company's baby powder caused ovarian cancer. Yet, the product is still on the shelves. You can buy it anywhere. Phyllis Ellis, the director of a documentary called Toxic Beauty, talked to a number of the women suffering the consequences of Johnson & Johnson's greed and lack of concern for their customers' health. She says this is bigger than the tobacco issue. I spoke with Phyllis this week about the film, about how big the issue of toxins in beauty and personal care products really is, and why companies and governments are doing nothing to address it. Here's that interview. First, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I wonder if you can first tell me a little bit about your background and how you first came to be interested in this issue, you know, around chemicals and beauty products and, and cancer, these toxic chemicals. Well, White Pine Pictures was the executive producing company um, for the film. They were developing a, a green uh, beauty show, uh, a series. It was a like a green competition show um, with uh, an activist named Sarah J. And the the show wasn't getting greenlit. And so they asked me if I could take a look at, you know, sort of the general subject matter and might there be a documentary film. And uh, so I said, you know, give me a little while. And, and I, uh, when I started to poke around, I landed on the Telk story. And it was particularly interesting to me because uh, I had used talc, you know, baby powder. I was an Olympian and I used it for, you know, many, many years, a lot. And um, I thought, wow, you know, I'm sort of a lifetime user, you know, if if lifetime is, you know, 15 years. So I got in touch with um, 
Dan Kramer, Dr. Kramer in Boston. And he was sort of my first phone call. And Dan and I talked for quite some time and he sort of told me the whole story and then the, the you know, the link and talc in the tissue. And he suggested that I may be at risk because of my extended use. And I, you know, I could identify the number of years and the number, almost the number of times a day I used uh, baby powder and where I used it. And so I became alarmed and scared and kind of thought to myself, well, if the most trusted brand in the world is causally linked to ovarian cancer, then what else are we using that could cause us harm? Um, so that was sort of my personal foray into the world. And then once I met Dan Kramer and then he introduced me to other people and I had read David Michael's book, Doubt is the Product, and got in touch with David and then Dr. Zoda, and then Sharuthi Melangaya, and then through Sharuthi, you know, met Mimi. And uh, three years later, we have Toxic Beauty. And, you know, talc seems like such an innocuous product. I mean, so many women featured in your film, Toxic Beauty obviously felt the same. I think we just assume that it's kind of this neutral, harmless thing. But what actually is talc you know what is it about johnson's and johnson's baby powder that is um causing cancer well i mean i'm not a scientist and i'm certainly not an expert but uh you know what i learned and what i think we learned in the film is talc is talc and talc is a mind substance that um is mined very like right beside asbestos and so there's a lot of um, opportunity for both to be in, you know, um, combined when, you know, you can't sort of separate things out when they're being mined. Um, the, the talc, uh, from what I understand and from what, what we learned from the experts in the film, um, the talc, uh, when you use it um, as a feminine hygiene for example, or if on a condom or if um, between your legs, if you have chafing or, you know, but, you know, sort of anything um, that you're using uh, close to your genital area, talc can move up um, just like any, like sperm can move up into um, the vagina and reach, you know, reach the ovaries and um, it, it embeds in the tissue. And uh, over time, it causes uh, and or c can cause um, ovarian cancer. And uh, but there are two thousand. Scott Faber says it in the film from Environmental Working Group. There are two thousand cosmetics and personal care products that contain talc. And Dr. Kramer says talc is talc. So that's powder. That's eyeshadow. That's dry shampoo. Um, any underarm deodorant, any perspirant that contains sort of a powder, um, you know, face powder, body powder, anything that often will contain talc or silica or, and then could have asbestos. And um, so, you know, banning talc, I mean, they've certainly banned talc in other countries. Why in North America, we're still able to go to the drugstore, like right now and buy a bottle of 
baby powder with talc in it is is kind of crazy. Like it's it's it just seems unbelievable because you know chemicals are and 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 uh, mined minerals and um, toxicants are not innocent until proven guilty. You know the the sort of the um, you know mantra of epidemiology is the precautionary principle. So if there's a chance. Uh, take it off the market. If it's a chance, don't use it. And so this is a really, really strong, um, it's not even an association, it's a direct link between a personal care product and cancer. You know, every day in the next, you know, coming months, we're going to hear about more and more products that are linked to cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's shocking to me too. It's It's so surprising to me that we can know this about this product. I mean, as you say, talc isn't the only product. There are lots and lots of other chemicals that are used in makeup and personal care products, lotions, et cetera, that are toxic. But, um, I mean, how, how, how is it possible that talc is still being sold in drugstores, you know, as baby powder, but also still being used in, in products? I mean, yeah that that's a really good question and i think that's the gajillion dollar question that uh needs to be you know aggressively um pursued and it is being pursued in congress and uh you know in the united states certainly canada um i think last december um officially identified talc um and its link to cancer um, but it's still sold. And so, you know, it's putting pressure on regulators and putting pressure on the government and stopping this industry from self-regulating because it's really not okay. I mean, that's kind of an understatement, but, um, I think, you know, they, a lot of the experts or some of the experts talk about it in the film that, you know, you look at the tobacco industry and how long it took for people to really finally wrap their head around the fact that, you know, smoking is uh, a a cause of lung cancer. And um, it took a long time. So it just seems so easy because, you know, cornstarch is an alternative. It's a, it's operates or functions. They call about performance. It performs in a similar way to talc and it's certainly not um, in this you know, today directly linked to cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a bit about this, this lawsuit. How did it against Johnson and Johnson? Um, how did that come about? Well, um, I had, uh, the great opportunity of speaking to Alan Smith and Alan Smith is a lawyer out of Mississippi who, um, whose father actually is a physician and he suggested, um, Alan, have a look at talc and look at baby powder because he was aware of Dr. Kramer's research and he was also uh, aware of Dr. Gortsky. He was the uh, pathologist that was testing the women's tissue and the findings of talc and was aware that Dr. Kramer alerted Johnson & Johnson in 1982 uh, to the presence of uh, or the causal link between talc and and baby powder, which Dr. Kramer discusses in the film. And so when 
um, Alan Smith uh, kind of reached out and he went to a couple of conference, ovarian cancer conferences. And in the meantime, Dean Berg, who's the whistleblower in all of this um, from North Dakota, uh, was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer and she had no idea how she could have possibly um, got ovarian cancer, um, started to research and also fell upon Dr. Kramer's research. And she got in touch with Dan and Dan put her in touch with Alan, who had also gotten in touch. And the two of them went, uh, decided that they were going to take Johnson and Johnson to court. And I think this was in 2009. And um, just the two of them, a, a one person lawyer from Mississippi and this very, um, really, uh, a woman from North Dakota who wanted to um, find out what was going on with her life, really. And uh, Johnson & Johnson offered her, I don't know, 800 grand to stop, and she said no, and then they came back and said 1.3 million. And uh, she said, well, what about the warning label? Because one of the deals was, you know, she'd take a settlement if they would, you know, go public and take it off the shelves or put a warning label on. And they said they weren't going to do that. And so she looked at them and said, I'll see you in court. And she took them to court. And on most of the counts, she won, but she didn't receive any money. And then when that was publicized, um, there were women all over the United States that um, came forward and they had their tissues tested and then the lawsuit started. And now there's a class action that started in Canada. There's, you know, 300 women that are part of that class. I don't know when it'll get certified, but it's starting here in Canada as well. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and what happened with the lawsuit in the U.S.? What was the result? Well, I think that there are, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Uh, uh, there a lot of the uh, women have won. I don't think there's been a payout. I think the lawsuits continue. There's certainly now um, associated the um, mesothelioma and the contaminated talc with asbestos. So, I mean, there's, you know, I don't know, $54 million per lawsuit. So I think there's $450 million dollars that have been awarded I, and to I mean to date I, when I finished the film Johnson & Johnson hadn't hadn't paid out yet um, on any of the um, the successful lawsuits mm -hmm. but I don't know you know it's it's ongoing I think mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and Johnson & Johnson's baby powder is still on the shelves Oh, yeah, we could go together right now to a drugstore and buy a big, huge vat of it. Amazing. Um, and, you know, as as we mentioned earlier, it's not just talc. You know, there's so many chemicals and makeup and lotions and other products that women use that are toxic and, and women just aren't aware. I mean, you would sort of assume that you know, companies and the government wouldn't be allowing chemicals that they know cause cancer into these products, but of course they are. So, I mean, can you tell me what else did you learn in the process of making the film about other cancer-causing ingredients that are in makeup and, and these personal care products? Well, you know, again, um, 
not, you know, sort of my opinion, but based on the uh, really brilliant uh, scientists and researchers that I had the privilege of spending some time with. Um, and it's, it's not just women, it's, you know, children and, and men as well. Um, but it's the endocrine disruptors and the endocrine disruptors are, um, things in personal care and cosmetics that, um, alter our, um, our, our hormones and our endocrine system. And when that happens in vitro, it's a problem. And when that happens, when babies are born, it's a problem. And when it, children go through puberty, um, childbearing years, uh, you know, for w women, menopause. And when, you know, at, at particular hormonal times in our lives, um, these endocrine disruptors can cause major and wreak major havoc in our bodies. And, uh, you know, there's studies that uh, I spoke to people about and that are just being revealed, um, you know, the link between some of these products and breast cancer. And, you know, it's not, you know, I wouldn't say it's not just cancer, but there's many, many, many things that we have to be aware of that these endocrine disruptors can affect and can directly link. And certainly in... Um, you know, with women of color, um, the number of products and um, the number of chemicals and heavy metals um, and very, very dangerous um, substances and, and toxicants, formaldehyde, lead, mercury, you know, things that you, you couldn't possibly imagine um, would be actually put in a product that someone is intending to put in their hair or on their scalp or on their face or on their body. And, um, so I think in the, like I said, in the coming months and in, over the next little while, I think we're going to find out more and more about, because as people get more aware, there's been some amazing journalists that have, you know, really taken on this story and certainly, um, there's advocacy and activist groups that have been working in this space for a really long time. But um, I think, you know, the fact that this industry regulates itself in the United States, 11 chemicals are banned in Europe, 1300 plus are banned in Canada, 500 plus are banned. But in Canada, we have a post-market regulatory system. So basically a product can go on the market for a hundred days before anybody says anything. Basically, you and I could um, throw a bunch of stuff in a pretty bottle and call it Friday and take it to one of the retailers and say, you know, we have this really great skin cream. We've just made it. Would you like to buy it? Oh, it looks pretty. And we could just, they could just buy 50 units and put it on the shelf. And we don't have to, we really don't have to even report it. And then after 100 days, if somebody has a problem and they report it, then they have a look at it. But even with that, I kind of liken it to, because there's, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of products. And I, I don't know if you've seen Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom at the end when Harrison Ford's looking at that massive warehouse of antiquities and, um, or, you know, whatever. And I think it's like, you know, 
Bob and Bill are standing in this massive warehouse with these, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of products. And Bob looks at Bill and just goes, well, it looks okay to me. And he throws it on the conveyor belt and it goes into a truck. So it's not, um, you know, and there is work being done, but I think we have to be really mindful of words like fragrance and parfum. If they're on, on the label of something, they, there's, they're masking, you know, because fragrance is proprietary and there are apps and people are, you know, companies are trying to make changes, but the onus shouldn't be on the consumer to look at a label and try and read the hieroglyphic 400 letter chemical and apps and know what it is. The onus Mm -hmm. is on government. The onus is on the regulators and the big onus is on big brand companies, big pharma, big cosmetics companies to actually produce products that don't contain all these harmful chemicals. Yeah. I mean, it would be impossible to keep up with everything. I mean, I try to be conscious of the ingredients that are in the products I buy um, and avoid certain things. But I mean, all these words, these are not words that the general public understands. And I think I, I, I heard or read somewhere that sometimes the, the companies will change the names of certain products so that it'll no longer be kind of a, a red flag. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Somebody said the other day, I can't remember, $90 billion, $100 billion industry. It's a lot of money involved. And, um, you know, like Dr. Michael said, you know, cosmetic regulations aren't in the back seat. They aren't even in the car as far as importance. And yet you'll see in the film from, you know, the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s to now, you know, so many Congress people and senators were trying to, you know, get something going. And, um, you know, change shouldn't be this difficult. But I think if the voices get loud enough, um, and really the power is in the consumer, we really don't need 80% 80% of the products we're using. Darbra, mm-hmm. who's a doctor out of England, who's in the film, who 14 years ago was looking at growing best breast cancer cells in parabens, really focusing on uh, deodorant. And um, anyway, she says, she said, you know, the, the antagonist in this story isn't really, I mean, it is the regulators and it is the companies. And it's not really the the carcinogens or the toxicants. It's the marketing departments that tell us that we're not enough or we're too much. You know, I have too many wrinkles. I'm too old. You, you don't smell good enough. Your hair's too curly. Your hair's too straight. Your skin is the wrong tone. But if you use these products, you'll get the best job or you'll have the best life or you'll be the most beautiful. And Dr. Zoda said something that really struck me when she was one of my first interviews and she said, we have to change these beauty norms. So women don't have to choose between their health and trying to look beautiful based on these arbitrary standards. So I think we should lean into that a little bit too. you know, reduce, 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 and remove. We only use 27 products because somebody says we should, or a family of women who have taken on the world for some major reason, you know, tell us that, you know, tell young women that they have to use 45 products on their faces, you know, in order to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. It sounds like cliche. Oh, just be, you know, just feel beautiful for who you are and your beauty inside and all the rest of it. But I think we've been bombarded with 
I mean, I'm paranoid. We, we went, I went to London with the film. I was letting my hair go gray. And then I got paranoid before I was leaving for a London, England. And I thought, I can't go to London looking like this. And I went and put $300 worth of toxic chemicals seeping into my brain because I, I really couldn't lean into the fact that I have gray hair. <laughs> so it's not easy. Yeah, it's really hard. And especially when you're um, looking at yourself in photos or on TV oh a lot. So, you're, you know, if you're doing media interviews and things like that. Completely. And, and, and also the standard of, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the sort of idea of youth and, and, and eat, but now even the young women, these, you know, beautiful young women are, you know, layering their face and blowing up their lips and doing all kinds of things because somehow they're not good enough. And, um, you know, it's aging is one thing, but sort of the, the power of youth, it's no longer just okay to have beautiful young skin. You've got to, you know, cover it up with 400 different products that cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really, we really scrutinize ourselves. And I think that I think that media and social media have so much to do with it. Obviously, I think that advertisers are culpable for selling us these supposed flaws that we need to fix mm. all the time. Mm. Um, you look at the old Virginia Slim, you know, the cigarette or Marlboro man. You know, if you you want to be cool, smoke a Marlboro. If you want to be sexy, smoke a Virginia Slim. And if you're smoking a Virginia Slim, you're going to meet the Marlboro Man. You know, so we had this sort of sexy notion of that at that time. And I think it's just the the cosmetic industry has just blown up as far as those that messaging. And, um, you know, like, what do we really need? Um, I guess that's a, that's sort of a big question. They are discretionary products. We don't, you know, they're not sustaining life products, but we're still, you know, slathering and lathering and marinating ourselves in all of these different um, products and, and our children. You know, what are we putting on our kids? And I think that's that's something I find this film, you know, whenever I go to a screening and, it, you know, it's a big audience and it's very personal because when you start with the Q&A, and it, you know, in other films, people ask questions like, how did you make the movie and all that? But what people want to know is, what am I supposed to do? What have I been doing? How have I poisoned myself and my children? You know, and, and what do I do from here? Like, what am I supposed to, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that was my next question. I mean, what do we do? It all just seems pretty overwhelming and, and terrifying. And, and, you know, as we talked about, there's just so many different chemicals and how do you track them all? And, and how do we force these companies and the government to stop allowing these toxic chemicals to go into products? Well, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, there's a couple of ways, but one of the biggest ways is to not buy them. And, and then, you know, their market share goes down and they're forced to, you know, create products that are safe. Um, I mean, that's sort of an oversimplification of, you know, kind of what what we can do. But I think we put pressure on our legislators and we get bills changed and we ban talc and, and we start to make some noise. 
because, um, you know, it's really irritating. Even some of my girlfriends, you know, do you really have to go after my lipstick? Like, could you just leave me alone? I really don't care. I'm just going to use this product anyway. It only has a little bit of lead. Well, no amount of lead is safe. The World Health Organization says it. Trace amounts of lead in lipstick. Yeah, every time you apply it. Sometimes we apply three or four times, five times a day. You eat it off, you know, you chew it off. It, it absorbs into your skin. Well, you know, magnify that over how many ever years and how much lead do we have? And, um, you know, one thing we can do, um, like Mimi did in the film, you know, you can do... A, like a body burden test and the detox me program in Boston is really great. I think it's 300 bucks and you, you know, you get in touch with them and then they, you send them your urine and then they send it to, they actually send it to a lab in Vancouver, Canada. And, uh, you get your, your analysis back and it's really measuring phthalates and, uh, and parabens and phthalates and parabens are sort of directly associated with endocrine disruption um, but the real test would be to test your blood and test your blood for heavy metals. Mm. And I'm not saying that all of the chemicals or toxicants, whatever, that are in your body are caused by personal care products. Because there's a whole bunch of other things. Like we could have a big, long conversation about Teflon or, or uh, plastic or plasticizers or um, food we eat. And all, you know, there's big, huge things that we need to, to, to look at. Um, but you know, the, you know, the sort of the idea that maybe this we're over overstating the issue, Dr. Michael said something really great when I first started doing the research on the film and he said, um, be careful in this whole sort of idea of a balanced argument. And he said, I'll use climate change as an, as an example. So in this late seventies, early eighties, there was a very clear, very sound science research and really smart people saying, I think we have a problem. The climate is changing. And what sort of the media did is, a, a, you know, overall tried to create a balanced argument. So then they, you know, the oil companies or, or whomever, the paid for science were saying, no, I, you know, what we, climate change isn't real. That's, that's a conspiracy theory, <laughs> whatever. And so... Uh, and now look at, you know, the polar ice caps are melting melting and we're in a really serious problem. We have a really serious problem. Um, and that was because there was, you know, we were trying to create a balanced argument back there. But if we had addressed it in the late 70s, early 80s, we probably wouldn't be in the place that we are now. So there's something called false balance and false balance you have to be really careful for. So all a lot of what happens that we read about when uh, people are trying to debunk good science and um and question science good science that is you know that are you know doctors and and researchers and massively smart people that are telling us we have a problem it degrades science first of all and um it creates a false balance and it, we see it in we see it in so many industries but i think right now as human beings, we're looking at abuse of power. Mark Ruffalo's film just, just came out. We're looking at it, and we're okay with looking at it. And I don't know if it's because of what's happening with Trump in the United States and 
we're all just becoming a little bit aware and Greta, the young girl that's, you know, blowing up the world, stepping up for climate change. You know, I think we're ready to kind of look at the different things that we're using. Personal care and cosmetics is it's pretty huge because I think Scott Faber said he went to a symposium. There were a thousand people in the audience and he started his talk by saying how many people who in this audience did not use a personal care product or a cosmetic today and one person in the audience put up their hand Hmm. so what can we do i don't know reduce 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 and remove we probably don't need 80 percent of the products that we're using and um go on great apps like think dirty or um ewg has a, a a great app um and you can actually plug in the product you're using and it'll tell you one out of 10 how toxic that product is. And it breaks it all down because they've actually paid to have these products tested. So that's one way that you can be kind of in control and you can have the app right on your phone. So when you go to buy, I don't know, whatever shampoo you're using, you can actually plug that brand name into the app and it'll spit it out and tell you it's 8 out of 10 toxic or two out of 10, or it'll say it's really crap for this, but it's okay, you know, in this area today, that's what we can do. But, you know, I think it's something we should pay attention to. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. every expert and every single really smart person I spoke to said, this is a very serious issue. Like we have a problem and it's not to scare people. It's actually to help people and to, create awareness and to support all these incredible people that had and organizations that have been kind of fighting in this space for, you know, 10 years to try and affect change. Yeah. And I mean, I think that you're, I think that you're right that we're maybe we're in a place right now where people are sort of ready to start asking these questions and pushing back. And I think it's because we finally, come to a place where we really don't trust <laughs> this is going to sound cynical but in the end it's it's a good thing i think we we don't trust the media anymore we don't trust the news media we don't trust our governments we don't trust these companies um you know mm-hmm. we we know that these these people and these companies aren't looking out for our best interests anymore no and and um you know i i, I really feel like um, you know, kind of started off the conversation, but I really think this is a woman's health issue. And I can assure you that if, uh, men's testicles were falling off as a result of putting baby powder on, um, it would have been banned a long time ago. So, you know, we really have to look at women's health and we, you know, there's a lot of really impactful, brilliant, uh, scientists and women, women doctors in our film that um, have really taken this on. And, you know, if you look at, you know, historically, who was, who was, you know, who were receiving all the research grants, it was predominantly men. And now women are are now, like with so many industries, um, are now actually getting the research grants and and these kinds of subjects of a particular interest to them. And so we have these amazing people, not that there aren't amazing men working in working in this area as well because there are and we spoke to them but um 
you know, we didn't get everywhere. There's some incredible people, uh, scientists and researchers and, and uh, people that I, I didn't get a chance. You know, you have a limited time, you have a limited budget, and, um, you know, you have to, you only have 90 minutes. You know, it could have been a 10-part, one-hour series with the amount of information that I was able to accumulate in research. So there's my pitch. So if anybody's listening and wants to fund a one hour, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it would yeah. be great. Yeah, yeah. But, um, or maybe, you know, every episode looking at something else that we have to, um, we have to, you know, listen to. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Know. And I think, I think you're right. I think that's a good point because, I mean, uh, you know, research around women's health has really lagged and, and you're probably correct that that's because these um, these institutions and, you know, research and science has and the medical establishment has been male dominated for some time now until fairly recently. Right. Right. You also have to look at, you know, the cosmetic industry is massive and the pharmaceutical industry is massive and they also finance a lot of things. So if you look at. Uh, networks for example or other places you know every second commercial is a beauty commercial well you think they're going to program toxic beauty on their network because they're not Mm. they're going to and it's not because they don't think the film is fabulous it's because you know when your major advertising dollars are built around the industry that the film is um questioning um you're probably not going to program the film. And so, you know, and, and also, you know, they have their hands in a lot of places. Um, You know, there was this bill on the floor in the, in the house and the Senate in the United States, I think it was Diane Feinstein and Susan Collins bill. And I think that, you know, it was awesome. And, you know, they were going to, the cosmetic reform bill or whatever it was called, and I think within the bill, they were going to ban five chemicals a year. Well, it would take 252 years to get as many chemicals that were banned in the EU now to actually get those chemicals banned in the United States. So, you know, we also have to look in Canada and the United States at looking at what actually is going to make impact and, um, you know, how we're, how we're actually going to, you know, you know, make, make a change and force this out, you know, further, further out into the main, because like I said, you know, I, the film follows, you know, a lot of amazing human beings and a lot of amazing organizations. And I've mentioned a few of them and human beings that are in the film that have been, you know, leaders. And there's a lot of amazing human beings and, and scientists that, I couldn't put in the film that I interviewed because I just didn't have enough time. And um, they, they've been leading, the, like really trying to make change in this industry for a really long time. But I think, you know, I think we're, you know, sort of moving toward a, a really big shift. And I don't mean some, you know, goofy thing, you know, about beauty and, you know, really affecting serious change. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> um, Just I uh, here's hoping. Yeah. Um, so finally, uh, how can people see the film? In Canada? 
Mm-hmm. Well, and in the U.S., I suppose. We have an audience in, in the U.S. and the U.K., actually, as well as in Canada. Oh, great. So, theatrically, um, the film opened in the U.S. Uh, on the 11th. And um, there are um, screenings all over the United States that are happening in December and then a lot more in January and February. Um, I think it's going to be on one of the pay networks. I'm not, I I don't think the deal's closed, so I can't really say, but I think it'll be on a place that you can go on and watch it, you know, sort of a major, um, I guess, would you call that digital um, uh, network? And uh, in Canada, um, it had a theatrical release and it's going to be on the doc channel on December, sorry, on January the 6th. And then I think something else potentially might be happening um, in February, but I don't think that has been announced yet. Not exactly sure, but for sure the first broadcast in Canada is January the 6th on the documentary channel on, on CBC. So, and then, you know, and then in the UK, I know that they're booking theatrical um, theatrical uh, screenings in the UK um, now. So I think there'll be screenings, theatrical screenings in the UK in January as well. Great. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, it was really great to talk to you. This is a super important issue. And um, I mean, this is all interesting, but I, I really think it's so important to get this information out there. So I really appreciate your work and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It, it, it's really important and um, it's, it's nice to have the conversation. You just heard an interview with Phyllis Ellis, director of Toxic Beauty, which will air on CBC's documentary channel on January 5th, 2020. To learn more about the film, what you can do to take action and to find screenings, visit toxicbeautydoc.com. That is all the time we have for today. I'm Megan Murphy. Thanks for tuning in to Feminist Current. You can find us online at feministcurrent.com, tweet at us at feministcurrent, or send us an email at info at feministcurrent.com. We are hosted by Libsyn, and you can subscribe to the Feminist Current podcast anywhere you like to listen iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Spotify, and beyond. You can even give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Show the world radical feminism is worth listening to. Feminist Current is produced and edited by myself, Megan Murphy, out of Vancouver, BC. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit feministcurrent.com and click the donate button.